You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Father, we thank you for the treasure that is ours in Jesus. For the wonder of his goodness. The glory of his grace. We thank you that our hope is sure. Your love is steadfast. Your presence is here. We celebrate you. Oh, how much we need you. Oh, how much this world that you created needs you. Meet us now, Lord God, by the power of your Spirit. Meet us now with the glory of Jesus. Meet us now with the urgency of these days and the call upon our lives to live for you with all that we have. We pray this, Lord God, for our good. We pray and commit this time for your glory. And we commit ourselves to you in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice. Amen. Amen. City on a hill, you may be seated. Great to be with you. A big shout out to our church family joining us from City on a Hill HQ, along with those. Yeah, yeah. Give it up along with those joining us online. If you are online, love you to like, let us know where you're tuning in from and why not share the love, share the post and invite someone else to join with you. It's a good day uh, to be with God's people. It's been a big week as Em and Ben have shared with us. We launched uh, the greenhouse this week. So encouraging to see those prayers come into fruition. Uh, so wonderful that we as God's people get to go deep in God's Word. Uh, my wife is one of the 41 who are part of the greenhouse uh, in 2022. Uh, really excited about this year ahead for everyone involved there. Also want to thank God that uh, we kicked off Alpha this week, uh, City Youth were meeting uh, together. They've been doing Youth on, uh, youth Alpha and then online Monday night. Luke Tuhill, uh, member of our church, is, is leading the charge with Alpha. I hear that there was about over 20 people who registered who were part of it online, uh, many of which uh, are just exploring Jesus for the first time. So can we thank the Lord for that and that great, great work? 
Uh, and before we dive into today's text, let me just encourage you uh, to get behind uh, what M and Ben shared earlier when it comes to supporting uh, the efforts and the prayers uh, for all things that are happening, this unfolding crisis taking place in Ukraine and, and in Russia. Let's get behind that. Uh, this week, you know, my heart broke when I saw that video. I'm sure many of you did of a father weeping with his young daughter in his arms as he had the painful task of saying goodbye to his own daughter, sending her on a train so that she could go for safety while he and all the other men in Ukraine had to stay behind and defend their city. You know, and it's moments like that that remind me of our shared humanity uh, and the heartbreak of war. You know, history tells us that war... Uh, leads to unimaginable loss. Millions of women and children will be displaced. Uh, properties, homes, um, education institutions, places of worship will be destroyed. Uh, and many honest, hardworking civilians, many men, women, and children will lose their lives. Uh, and so this is a call for us to play our part. Uh, there was a quote I, I read this week uh, from a pastor in Ukraine who said, if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. When one suffers, we all suffer. And together, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to, to lean together, to look to Christ, and to pour ourselves out as a living sacrifice. This is one of those moments, isn't it? Where we together with our brothers and sisters around this world stand together. We shine the light, don't we? We pray. We pray alone and we pray assembled. So please come together this week and pray. Take time out to gather in your gospel communities to pray. Get along to the prayer meetings this is what we do. This is who we are. And please give. We're working in this moment to work out how do we best serve practically on the ground. We know that church is already doing this. We know that mission organizations are already doing this. We want to play our part. We are a city on a hill. And whether times of peace or times of war, we're called to shine the light of Christ. We exist. Why? to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Amen? So let's uh, go in our Bibles now uh, to our reading, uh, which you'll find in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, for those who've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, you'll know that we're journeying through Peter's letter to the early church. And it's one of these books that's been incredibly helpful in helping us identify who we are in Christ. And indeed, the first few chapters have really focused on our identity. We've been reminded, haven't we, that we're the elect exiles, inheritors. We have a living hope. Uh, we are those who are building our life on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Today, the letter has somewhat of a shift. It moves from being primarily theological to being very practical. We go from thinking about our identity in Jesus to how that identity now shapes 
the way that we live. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to read our reading again. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Here's the shift. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperors as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So how does our... Hope in heaven shaped the way we live on earth. Three insights for us today. First, sojourners, we put sin to death. We put sin to death. So Peter begins, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Right, so it's clear that Peter loves the church. He calls them his beloved. I love you. I care for you. I pray for you. And it is out of his love that he urges him, and the Greek here is quite strong. He's pleading with them. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, it's important to note that our bodies are created by good. Uh, created by God and they are good, right? God created our bodies. And yet what we see in the Garden of Eden is that through sin, our mind, soul, and body was corrupted. And so today we do live in a good creative order and we do have good bodies. And yet within our bodies, there is a wrestle, a battle between honoring God and the temptations of our flesh, the temptation to sin, the temptation to live not for that which is eternal, but to try and find ourselves in this world. And Peter says, you must abstain. You must abstain from submitting to your sinful nature. You must abstain from following the desires of your flesh. You must say no to sin. Now already, like just one verse in, we can just see uh, how countercultural this call is. Because we're living in a world that you and I know is saying the exact opposite. You want to go out and get plaster drunk with your mates? You want to hook up with a girl every other week on Tinder? You want to drive a ride on your bicycle through the city of Melbourne naked? All in the name of bike safety and freedom, right? It doesn't really matter to our culture. They say, go and do it. Follow your heart. 
If it feels good, do it. You do you. That's the message of our world. Of course, this is not a new phenomenon. Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered across the Roman Empire. And Rome, particularly amongst the social elite, was a haven for hedonism. They were known for their progressive ideals and sexual experimentation. Um, They didn't just follow the flesh. They celebrated it. They indulged in it. And I'm not just talking about booze and women. For Rome, it was that, that, and power and violence. That's how they gratified their flesh. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with the image of the, the gladiator. What many of you may not realize is that some of those gladiators were actually women. And women would enter the arena in Rome with clothes from here down, chest open, and they would fight it out in front of a coliseum that was largely full of men cheering and celebrating as they fought themselves to the end. And I highlight that because I think it's tempting for us to say that we're living in this very progressive society and that we're their first Christians to have to navigate difficult culture. But the truth is, is that sin and temptation and the desires of the flesh go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Every generation, every Christian who has ever lived has had to navigate those desires. Now, please note, He's not saying that you won't have those desires, right? If, if, if you become a Christian, uh, it, it doesn't mean that all of your temptation just suddenly goes, right? Just as Eve looked upon the forbidden fruit and it was pleasing to her eye, so you will find yourselves in situations where you see things, where you feel things, and it tempts. And it's pleasing. Sin is bad, but just because it's bad doesn't mean that it isn't fun. We're attracted to it. But you who are in Christ must abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? There's a lot of things we could say at this point. But notice what Peter underscores. He calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. War, of course, is an evocative image. And this week, we've been flooded with that imagery, haven't we? It speaks of darkness. War speaks of opposition. Uh, It speaks of violence and Blood, it speaks of wounds and loss and death. In the same way, Peter is warning you that we who submit to sin are subjecting our own souls to war. If you are feeding the passions of your flesh, whether that's excessive drinking, 
whether that's treating women as objects, whether that's gossiping about men, whether that's twisting the truth, stealing from your friends, holding on to bitterness, clinging to unforgiveness. If you are doing those things and you keep doing those things, your soul will come under fire. You're still going to be you, but over time, you'll become a worse version of yourself. What is good in you will be beaten down. You'll be less compassionate, less creative, less courageous, less kind. And what is bad in you, pride and envy and greed and malice, will begin to dominate and master and have control. And people are doing this. People are submitting to their flesh. And they're telling themselves, well, I'm just following my heart. Not realizing they are waging war with their soul. You who are in Christ must be stronger. You must value your life and the God who gave you life. Now, I know in my own walk, and I've been among many Christians in my walk, to know that one of the dangers or one of the lies that we have to battle is the lie that God is against my fun. That we look over our neighbor's fence, so to speak, And there's a temptation that as we look at the world, we feel that God is just robbing us when the world is having all this fun. Which is why I call us to continue to see and celebrate Jesus, the giver of all life, who comes in and says, no, 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 no. It's the thief who comes to steal and destroy I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. God gave you life. And he wants you to value and treasure that life. He wants you to drink freely from him, the spring of living water. He wants you to be the person he created you to be but you can't drink freely from the spring of living water whilst at the same time poisoning it with the sin of the flesh. There could be things in your life right now that God is pressing on. And maybe they're the big dramatic type sins. the ones you know that are really, really waging war. Or it could even be something quite small and subtle. In fact, in my experience, they're the most dangerous, hardest to detect. Like a thief at night, they enter on in and slowly but surely cut you down. And at first, maybe they were dramatic to you. 
but with every arrow, with every decision to yield. You who were in control made them your master. Let me encourage you to ask yourself, what is it that you are doing right now that you know is waging war on your soul? What is the one thing that you are yielding to that you know is drawing out your worst? Really important, Peter says, out of his love for you, that you abstain. This requires a courage that can acknowledge what that one thing is. This requires a courage and dependence upon God to say, I'm going to trust you, even though so much of my soul wants this. Here I have no lasting city. You are my hope and my salvation. And so search my heart, O God. See if there is anything of offense within and lead me to the way of everlasting life. As Christians, we don't do this in our own strength. We confess our sins. We acknowledge our temptations. In a room like this, they're very different for all of us. And we share that struggle together. We get into that fight together. And we give it to the Lord knowing that his gospel is powerful to save. The sojourner kills sin. But number two, a sojourner also pursues beauty. Verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, this is interesting because in verse 11, we hear the call to abstain from sin. Here we discover that our life isn't to be one-dimensional. Our life as a Christian, as an exile, is not only seen in what we say no to, in what we abstain from, but also in what we give ourselves to. And here, Peter urges the church and he urges you and me to give ourselves to a life of good deeds. Now, by show of hands, who who was here at the launch of Reimagine last year? All right. So some of you will remember that at that service, we unpacked Matthew 5, which is somewhat of a foundational text for this church. Where Jesus says, your city on a hill, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Your good deeds. And we discovered that this word good, which is the exact same word that Peter uses in verse 12, is the Greek word kalos. And you remember what kalos means? Beautiful. It speaks of beauty. You may recall that it's actually the root word from which we get calligraphy. If you're going to write an invitation for your wedding or your 21st, you don't use Comic Sans. You use calligraphy. Why? Because calligraphy is more than words on a piece of paper. It's art. In the same way, Jesus is saying, you're not just to abstain from sin. 
you are to embrace a beautiful life. A creative life. A life of art, vibrancy. Right? Christianity isn't just words on a paper. Christianity isn't just that guy or girl who likes taking the moral high ground and judging other people. No, we are to be known for our beauty. And sometimes it's been seen in the very small and significant ways of life. I came across this, um, uh, this guy in, in the States called Curtis, and uh, he put this sign up in his, uh, his local neighborhood. I think we've got an image here. There we go. Uh, here it says, uh, if you can't see it, my wife says I'm getting weird. She says I need to make friends. So I'm making pancakes. <laughs> right? So he just hosts this pancake day in his neighborhood. You know what happened? More than a hundred of his neighbors, more than a hundred of his neighbors turned up. Right? Now, clearly, his, his neighbors are not just there for the pancakes. What's going on here? After years of a pandemic and separation, they're hungry for connection. They're hungry for community. Curtis says, I don't mind looking foolish. So I was like, I bet I could just put myself out there and maybe something would happen. 100 people came the first time. 300 people came the next time. And it ignited something of this movement where other people in their own neighborhood start running these pancake days. So simple. In a time of separation where we're trying to work out how do we do life together, so powerful. Maybe there's an idea birthed in you. Maybe there's something in your soul. You've seen a need. There is an opportunity. I pray that God would give you the courage to step out and to give it a go. Even if it doesn't work, give it a go. Let's fail forward. Let's try things as a church. Right? We do lots of things together, which is awesome. Try it, like talk about it in your gospel community. What is the gifts that God has given you? And how might the gifts that God has given you serve? our world. Why? Because we're to be marked by beauty. This can be seen in something small and seemingly insignificant, but of course, this beauty shines, doesn't it, in times of difficulty and adversity. I read of a pastor in the Ukraine just this week. He has six children, and no doubt that you know, his desire as a father, as a husband, is to flee the chaos that is ensuing around him. But amidst the mess, he says this, my wife and I have decided to remain in our city near Kiev. We want to serve the people here along with Urban Bible Church in anticipation of coming disaster. We've bought a supply of food, medicine and fuel so that if necessary, we will be able to help those in need rather than burden them. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. As tensions have risen, our church announced a week of fasting and prayer, gathering every night to bring our requests to God. 
During this critical moment, our church, which is about a thousand people attending on a Sunday, is also a place of service. We've recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning how to apply bandages, stop bleeding and manage airways. These lay people aren't going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbors if necessary. He adds, we will shelter the weak, serve the suffering and bend the broken and mend the broken. (laughs) And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. You know what this is? Beauty. By your good deeds, by your life of courage in the face of war, by your life of sacrifice. This is the beauty God calls from you. This is the beauty he calls us to embrace. Our life in Christ is seen not only in what we won't do, but what you will do. So keep saying yes to truth. Keep saying yes to service. Keep saying yes to generosity. Keep saying yes to forgiveness. Keep saying yes to kindness. Keep saying yes to the adventure that is ours in Christ. It's not easy at times. It's hard. But we who are in Christ are called to something far greater than ourselves. We're called to this beautiful life. And we do this, don't we, City on a Hill, knowing that as we live this beautiful life, we do it not for our own sake, but for the glory of God, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We want the light of Christ to shine so brightly that when people see it, they get a window into who God is. They get a window into his beauty. I was chatting some time ago with Valerie, who's part of uh, City on Hill Melbourne, along with her husband, Rory, just incredible heartbeat of our church kind of people. And uh, we're talking out the front of Pause and Sip, where we all go and have coffee and we're reflecting on Plantation. Do you remember Plantation? The, the cafe it was there kind of like two years ago and we used to go and have coffee there at Plantation. And we were talking about this. And, and Valerie says, one of the guys in our gospel community uh, is a bakery distributor. And he was distributing products to Plantation. And the staff at Plantation mentioned to him that all the staff used to fight for the Sunday morning shift. Why? Because the people on Sundays were so lovely. In fact, they could even tell the difference between the people who came on Sundays and those who came through the week. Such was the impression that some of the staff workers from Plantation have started coming to City on a Hill. Wow! Right? That's encouraging. Because that's who we are. We are to live in the big moments in life, but also the smaller daily routines of life in a way that reflects the glory of God. There's something about your kindness. There's something about your patience. There's something about your generosity 
that taps me into something bigger than this world. That's why I love being part of this church. We're clearly not a perfect church, but you are a beautiful church. And I thank God for the beauty I see in the kindness and encouragement that you show. The beauty in your willingness to build relationships and form community. The way you seek to to pray for one another. The way you look out for those who are new and visiting and trying to help them connect into the community. The way you are there for one another in difficult times and good times, you are there. And I praise God for that because that is beautiful. I also praise God for the beauty I see in your service. You know, we, by God's grace, get to provide a lot of different ministries here on Sundays as we gather Cinema 11 and uh, 262 Queen Street. I think about our kids' ministry happening right now and what we're doing online and then in our gospel communities and then through the week, you know, with many rooms. I heard this week that the team at the kitchen are providing 160 meals. They're hand cooking and then delivering 160 meals every single week to people in our city who are on the margins who are doing difficult. I praise God for that because that's beautiful. And it's a bell I just want to keep on ringing for this church. That we'd not just declare the gospel, we would live it. We'd be known not just for our right thinking, but our right thinking would be shaping our right living. Even if our city doesn't quite agree with everything we say, and there will be those moments, they can see a beautiful life, a courageous and compassionate life. Are you in Christ? Well, then you're going to be abstaining from sin. You're going to be pursuing a life of beauty. And then finally, and we'll finish with point three, you're going to honor all. Okay, brace yourself for this. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, this is, of course, is not the first time that I've read this passage before. But I must confess that these verses have taken on renewed significance these last few years. For the first time in my living memory, those in governing authority, particularly here in Victoria, have taken on renewed prominence. I, I could be wrong here, but prior to the pandemic, could Australians identify who their state premiers were? Probably not. That's changed. Every day, news conferences and headlines featuring our state politicians, and not only have they been dominating the the airwaves, but they've been making huge decisions that have impacted our lives in ways I suspect we've never experienced. If you're raised here in Australia, you've never experienced that level of oversight and authority. 
Mask mandates, density limits, school closures, vaccine passports, border restrictions, lockdown one, lockdown two, lockdown three, lockdown four, lockdown five, lockdown, I lost count. By the end of 2021, your favourite stat, we were the most locked down city in the world. <laughs> Did someone cheer? <laughs> right? And so if you've been a Christian throughout this time, if you've been a human throughout this time, this has been challenging. Why? Because one of the things that this has unearthed is that we all have differing views about governing authorities. Some people cheer the restrictions. Right? In all seriousness, I've met a lot of Bible-believing Christians who are like, this is good, I'm appreciating how it's responding, I'm loving the clarity, I'm loving the directions. In fact, I'd like a few more restrictions, I'd like things to be ordered in this way. A lot of Christians in that camp. And then I've also met a lot of Christians who've been incredibly frustrated, to put that mildly. Unsure about the decisions, frustrated by the implications, questioning the intentions of those decisions. Worth keeping in mind that when Peter was writing this, depending on where you place first Peter, but most would agree he's writing when Nero was on the throne. And so in the midst of political tension and various opinion and conjecture, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And you might like to underscore the word subject because it's a word that will come up again and again in First Peter. Uh, next week, uh, actually for the very first time at City on a Hill, Ben Hewitt is going to be preaching God's word. Let's give it up for Ben. And he's going to see how this applies to, uh, in that context, uh, slaves and free and, and masters. And like, that's going to be interesting. The week after that, we're going to talk about how this applies in the home, right? Peter drills in on what, what's Christian marriage supposed to be like? How should it look, right? And so here he begins with this call upon us as it pertains to human institutions. And this word submit means to subject ourselves to to obey, to observe, to follow. Um, it's worth also noting that we're to be subject to every human institution. So he's taking this beyond state politics at this point. He has in mind every and all legitimate human institution, whether that be authorities in the home, in the church, in business, in education settings, in all spheres of life where we have structures of authority, we as Christians are urged to submit. So why does Peter give us this call? Why did Peter call Christians to, to submit to leaders? Is it for their sake? Is it for our sake? No, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, right? So we who are in Christ do not submit to human institutions simply because we agree with a decision or we have compliant personalities. No, we submit in recognition that God is supreme and sovereign over all, that God is king, that he is Lord. And this means that he has all power and all authority. 
Remember what Jesus said before his disciples? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus does not give that authority to us. He retains it. And so whether you serve as a pastor in a church, a leader in a company, a parent in a home, a teacher in a school, a nurse in the ward, or a politician over the state, we are all sent out under his authority. And what is the purpose of that authority? Well, the purpose of the government is to work for good. The purpose as Peter says in this same text, is to restrain evil. The purpose of authority that God entrusts is to work for good. It's to bring order where there is chaos. It's to fight for peace. And so we who are in Christ submit to governing authorities, knowing that all authority is ultimately to God and that all in authority will ultimately be accountable to God. We will give an account. Those who have a position of authority in this world will give account to God. And so we trust God. Now, are there occasions where a Christian should not submit? Absolutely. In the book of Exodus, we read, don't we, of the midwives. Um, The Pharaoh had an edict of death upon the children. And yet these midwives defied the orders to preserve life. Then we have an example in Daniel, third chapter, where he refused to bow down to false gods. He remained faithful to his God. Even this week, we've seen images, Russians protesting against the invasion in Ukraine They're protesting, and it's illegal to do that in Russia. And then think of Peter himself. In the book of Acts, we're told that people didn't want him to preach the gospel. They tried to stop him in doing that, to punish him in that. What does he say? He says, we must obey God rather than man. So there is a line here. When someone in authority calls you to sin, you must not obey. When someone calls you to deny God or worship something other than him, you must not obey. As a Christian, we have a responsibility, and that is to honor the Lord first and foremost. And because God has appointed overseers to serve for our good, It's our job and your responsibility to help them bring about his good and pleasing will. When we see a system that is corrupted by evil, we are there to speak out and shine light. When we see someone in authority who is misusing power, we must stand up where we see decisions being made that are contrary to the goodness and grace of God, you must shine the light. That's your call. That's who you are. I'm reading an excellent book at the moment um, called Redeeming Power uh, by Diane Langberg. Langberg. And when asked, you know, how do we deal with corrupt systems? What does she do? (laughs) She points us to Jesus. As the band comes up, I want you to note these quotes. She says this, 
Nearly all Jesus' miracles were interventions on behalf of life. He intervened for those who were oppressed, abused, diseased, endangered, and traumatized. He did not dissent in the American way or in any other way which we are familiar. He carried no placard emblazoned with hateful speech. He gave to Caesar what was his, tyrant though he was. She goes on to say, When you feel overwhelmed, remember this. People are sacred, created in the image of God. Systems are not. They are only worth the people in them and the people they serve. And people are to be treated, whether one or many, the way Jesus Christ treated people. Many years ago, um, uh, I led a uh, study tour. I was working at World Vision and their media team. And I led a study tour. Uh, with 18-year-olds from across Australia uh, who were kind of like leading the charge when it came to fighting poverty. And uh, we went to Cambodia. And I think for me, it was so life-forming because I don't think at that point I'd ever faced evil and darkness and the brokenness of this world in, in that way. I'd seen it and read about it and worked in an organization that was all about it. But when you see it, when you go to the killing fields, when you go and see the impact, the generational impact is devastating. You know, here's a beautiful country with beautiful people that was cut down by a tyrant. The loss and the grief and the war and the violence and the terror and the fear and the it just lives on. And I remember being on the back of one of those, like you get around, it's just one of those crazy little motorbikes, praying that you'd survive. <laughs> and I was on the back with this guy who was working in World Vision and just so keen to know a bit about his story and how he ended up where he was at World Vision. And he told me that as a young kid, uh, he was there when all of the, the violence unleashed and the war broke out and he he fled to the border. And, you know, it's just unimaginable for us, isn't it, what that would be like to leave everything that you have, everything that you're working on, everything in your home and your family, and just to be in a refugee camp at a border. No idea if you'll ever go back, no idea if you'll be overrun. But he explained to me in the midst of the terror of all of that, there were Christians. <laughs> and there were Christians serving the refugees. There were Christians handing out water and offering hope. There were Christians serving and, and being patient with them and being kind to them and loving them. And it was through their witness, it was through their beautiful life that he discovered the good news of the gospel. And what I love about his story is that the gospel, it changed him. Now he is the guy serving in Cambodia. Now he is there on the front line. Because of what Jesus has done for him, he is there serving the poor. This is how we who are Christians respond to the darkness of our hour. We push back the darkness with light. We push back the fear with love. The gospel is not just good information, it's transformation. So why don't we stand and go to our Lord in prayer.
Father, we thank you for the reminder of who we are and the almighty call that is upon our life. Help us, Lord God, right now to abstain from sin. Help us, Lord God, to embrace a beautiful life. Help us, Lord God, to shine your light with such clarity and conviction and beauty that people may see our good deeds and praise you. We love you, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. Be at work, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.